the uh, theme for the uh, afternoon uh, talk is by way of a commentary on the meeting that the, the Buddha had with Bahia. And in uh, Patrick's uh, excellent uh, exploration and uh, analysis of uh, some of the sutras, discourses, which uh, some of you will have seen in going to his uh, group meetings, he's uh, taken this particular quote. So what I would like to do this afternoon is to uh, read this particular passage from the Buddha to Bahia and then give some uh, uh, commentary uh, on it and we'll see how it flows, if it does. So the, uh, the background to this is that this wandering ascetic who was said to have come from Maharashtra uh, state had heard that in India there was one who was called uh, the Buddha, meaning the awakened one. There was a human being who had completely woken up from the dreams of existence, the problems of existence. So he was quite determined to meet with this person and made the long yatra, the long walk, from uh, West India through to the north, to the Sakya kingdom. And when he finally uh, got hold of uh, Siddhartha Gautama, the, the Buddha, uh, the Buddha was on the begging round, the tradition which still continues in some uh, Buddhist countries. And rather than wait to the end of the uh, begging round, the alms round, he immediately approached the Buddha and asked, if not demanded, what the essence of the teachings were. And this particular uh, statement is much loved and much uh, revered in the, in the Buddhist tradition because it says in a nutshell, in the space of a few lines, just what the heart, the essence of the teachings are all about. What I'd like to do is to read it to you, and then after reading, give some uh, uh, commentary, and uh, flow on uh, a little bit as well, as it's part of the same exploration, with regard to the uh, last inquiry that uh, we had yesterday evening. So... The, these are the lines of the, the Buddha. He says, in this case, Bahia, that's the, the, the name of the ascetic, here is how you should train. In the scene, there will be just the scene. In the herd, just the herd. In the sensed, just the sensed. In the known, just the known. In this way you should train yourself. When for you there is the scene is just the scene, in the herd there is just the herd, in the sensed, that means the other three sense objects, that's smelling, tasting and touching, there is just the sense, in the known, just the known, then you are not by that, when you are not by that, then you are not there. When you are not there, then you are neither here, nor beyond, nor in between the two. Just this is the end of suffering. And people listen to what was that about? 
But however, in Bahia's case, he listened and the realization came. And I'd like to take us through this to keep as much reference as possible to the uh, immediacy of our experience, what is taking place with us, and the profound way that this is pointing to an immediate liberation. We know that in the scene there is just the scene, how in the moment of the eyes opening there is an immediate impression which arises upon the sense doors and almost uh, immediately uh, with unbelievable speed there is the recognition of what we see. There's the impression and then we recognize. I look, immediate impression, ah, there is a group of people in front of me. And that impression and the perception and, and the feeling extraordinarily all close together. And from that immediacy of that moment and through the dwelling upon what is seen easily arises from the inner life other various perceptions, feelings and thoughts which begin to enter into that initial impression and begin to state or claim what it is, what is there, what is in front of me. And in the very activity of that which is seen, there is also immediately the confirmation of myself. The confirmation of myself, who is the seer. And the seer arises so incredibly quickly that I say, I am sitting here and right now I see you and in the seeing of you, this is what is seen. And I take the same with regard to the hearing. So there, there is the uh, listening, the hearing, and so quickly arises some comment or view or judgment upon that and in that activity there arises the hearer the listener. And so then there's established another slight difference <coughs> from the seeing, another faculty, and it's extraordinary the differences between seeing and hearing. We're in touch with quite different realms, quite different fields of life. And similarly we go to the, to the sense, the shorthand meaning for what is smelt, what is tasted, and what is touched. And through this activity, we know our world, and the mind comes into this activity of the seer and the seen, the hearer and the heard, the smeller and the smelt, the taster and the, and the tasted, uh, the touch and the toucher of it, into this world, moves the mind, and that movement of the mind participates in all of that, and it makes our world as we believe it and think it to be. And we find in the inner movement that takes place and in its arising which lands, as it were, the moment the scene is confirmed, the moment it says that is there, that is the object called the scene or the herd, in that moment there is the confirmation of the seer, the confirmation of the listener, the confirmation of oneself. Determined by the object. 
And this movement, this activity, this duality you and I go through day in, day out, moment in, moment out. And therefore, the question of the Buddha here, which he explores and uh, Patrick has uh, looked at very uh, beautifully, I uh, uh, must say, extraordinary commentaries, how easily that what takes place is that in the movement which goes into what is seen, also goes into it a lot of proliferation of ideas and thoughts about. What also goes into the now is various projections about it, and that may show itself in one's likes and our dislikes, our views and opinions. And as all of this inner stuff is arising in us, we are quite convinced that it's all to do with what's out there in the scene. We're convinced that our perceptions are telling us that's how it is out there in front of our eyes. And so, to, and so similarly with what, what is listened to. And as we all know, we can listen, and one person can listen and hear one thing, and somebody else can listen and hear something totally different, even though both have been listening to the same person. It's amazing that we can still get on with each other. So we, it's not easy to be able to discern and to be clear what is in the scene and what is the seer making of it. What is in the heard and what is the listener making of it. And this movement, this exploration gives shape to whether we are happy or unhappy due not to the object not to the events which are going on around us, which we attribute happiness and unhappy, unhappiness to, but the stark actuality, what is the self, what is the me making of the event? And it's hard for us to acknowledge and recognise the inner movement gives a substance to the now, not the event. And that shift of recognition and a certain kind of shift of responsibility helps us to see because if the event that is in front of us makes us unhappy, if it makes us, gives us problems, there is no possibility of any liberation. Not for anybody. If the scene makes us unhappy, we can't be free because it makes us unhappy. If the herd makes us unhappy and problematic, then we are trapped. Because we can't, we'd ha it means we'd have to change everything out there, which we're always trying to do anyway, trying to change everything out there in order we feel good about ourselves. Good luck to us. If there is a recognition and there is an, an, an acknowledgement that what's going on in here close as it is, it does mean that the scene and the herd is just the scene and the herd. It's just that. And therefore, we take an interest in what is emerging to put something into that to give it substance, to give it power, to give it significant, to give it authority over us. 
in the relationship to this movement of the inner life and its interpretation there, the shift then begins to take place that there is the event which is taking place but then there is the one who is determining the event and the size of the self the importance of the situation arises to the amount I, the I, puts into it. And we notice again and again, the more that something out there is seen to be extraordinarily significant, very major in our life, the more it confirms our self. The more that's a big issue, the more it's a big issue here. And this building, and building and building, we live in as if this is reality. As if this is the way things really, really are. And it's a misplaced perception. It's a misunderstanding. It's a mistake. Because we're seeing there, but it's here. It's closer. Teachings and practices are some kind of exploration to help redress the imbalance, to help bring us back to what we make here, what we make to matter. And in that bringing back to that, there's some particular kind of habits and patterns which help to reflect and show what's going on with us. In the movement of the eye, the feeling of the eye, we keep saying, whenever we're asked, who are you? Who are you? And then, we add something to the I am. Buddha has explored and looked into this a great deal. And so one says, I am, and then one adds to it, and then we, or I am, and then we might add our name, I am so and so. So the air arises, it latches on to a couple of words which we've heard thousands of times, and we have totally convinced ourselves that we are our name. That's who we are. I don't know about you, but I, I notice sometimes. I've been attending a talk by a Dharma teacher or there, and I might have been sitting there and feeling very, very tired. And then in the middle, not with the, although Subhana mentioned the talk yesterday, I was very present, Subhana, listening. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in some other situa- situation, <laughs> I might be very, very tired and very sleepy there. And in the middle of the talk, the person has mentioned my name. And immediately I'm awake. <laughs> what was he or she saying about me? Etc. The association of the self with the name is so strong. And if we're just walk, walking by, and a few people here have said to me, Oh, Christopher, we're t- talking about you. And the moment the self is arising and one's name, in this case Christopher, there's much more in curiosity about what was said. <laughs> if the person had said to me, well, we're, 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 
we're, we're talking about Radha and we're talking about Joseph. <laughs> but just mention one's own name. <laughs> is it praise or is it blame? <laughs> are you going to make my day or ruin it? <laughs> so, the self arises and it attributes to a couple of words out of the whole spectrum of nouns. Great importance. This is me, this is myself. And similarly, with roles and positions that we may have, or identities, I am a man, I am a, I am a woman, or a particular job or, or activity that takes place. And so, in the now, the self gets confirmed by the name. It gets confirmed by the role. It gets confirmed by what is seen, called the body, or whatever. And in that, the world arises and the world then has shape. It has a form. So I look in here, in the, in the hall here, and the moment I draw out of the now something called a group, then out of that, that confirms that there is someone up here who is called uh, uh, Christopher, who is called the teacher. So the self is confirmed by the others and the others confirm the, uh, the self. And in that, there is a description, and the description is called teacher, and the description is called participants, or it's called Dharma student, or whatever. But, scratch a little bit into the surface of the now, and it's not quite so substantial. Where on earth is the teacher? Where? Cross-legged? Cross-legged. Dressed? Dressed. Saying a few words? So what? Listening, talking. So the construct called teacher and the construct called participant has no real substance to it, but it's confirmed by a language, by an agreement. And the one affirms the other. And it only takes one little movement in the hall to change everything. You know, if one person just got up now and just switched all this off and, and, um, and uh, um, put on techno music <laughs> which some here are secretly hoping will happen <laughs> then this carefully contri contrived construction and agreement that there are teachings going on there's a teacher and there are listeners to it is, is, is just blown in one moment it has no inherent substance to it. There is nothing of great power in the now because something else can just dissolve what the agreement actually is. And so we live in this world of the seer and the seen, the listener and the heard, smeller and the smell, etc. All the way through and forgetting how it doesn't take much for it to shift. And thus, as the Buddha says, become something other than it was. Become, bhava, B-H-A-V-A, there's a becoming process which makes it different from what it was in the last moment. And that movement, that unfoldment goes on, which the wisdom is to be able to be clear, to see, in the scene there is just the scene. In the herd, there is just the herd. In the smelt, there is just the smelt. In the taste, there is just the taste. 
In the touch there is just the touch. In the knowing or the known there is just the known. And all of that begins then as an extraordinary challenge to us to see in this unfolding process which is going on can I train myself, develop to be able to see clearly in that way because in that I can dis- establish clear perception of what is there clear perception of what is here acknowledge the differences between the two and begin to get some sense of a calm abiding between the event to get some sense of some depth of calm abiding between the events that means what's there and so called what's here if I just rested with a calm abiding in which I have a relationship to what is taking place and I'm not projecting into it I'm not building up a world of likes and dislikes hopes and disappointments approvals and disapprovals and making that to matter which it can't do of itself only my mind can make something matter it can't do it itself when I get a sense for that and uh, an appreciation for that then I begin to experience and see things more clearly more as they actually are rather than as I conceive them to be and this movement this extraordinary shift in life of living in a world of how I conceive things to be how I believe them to be how I project them to be and I start putting a pin into that bubble puncturing that kind of balloon then I may be able to get a sense of things without all these layers of projections upon and some may think well if I don't have any projections everything will be bland everything will be dull everything will have the sameness to it etc no no that itself is a projection to think things are bland dull uh, uninteresting uniform um, grey or whatever has nothing to do with what's as it were out there it's to do with what one's done with it and the extraordinary thing is that when we are beginning to see things much more clearly boredom, dullness, blandness, greyness, etc. dissolves out of consciousness and then there is that authentic vitality which is what life is about because the consciousness is free from all of these layers of projections that are going on and there's a vibrancy which is taking place which is a, a significant feature of in the scene there's just the scene in the herd there's just the herd in this movement this movement called I and I am the very idea of I am as I said attaches itself to an object I am a mother I am a teacher I am a friend I am a lover I am alone I am with others all of that construction, all of that which we have conceived of builds up the sense of who I am I can only be somebody by, being, by having it affirmed by something which is not myself 
I can only be somebody through having the self built up through something which is not myself. Such a phenomenon. I say, oh, I have few possessions. Oh, so who I am is somebody who has few possessions. The possessions are not myself, but I have few possessions. And that builds up my identity. I have a, 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 a wonderful family. Those people in my family are not me. But I use them to say I have a wonderful family. So the constant use of the not-self keeps being used to build up the idea of the self. Such a, such a bizarre phenomenon it is. There. So how can I know who I am if I keep using that which is not who I am? How can I know who I am if I keep using that which is not who I am? Which gives me the impression I know who I am. Oh no we don't. Oh no we don't. We are living in cuckoo land. And if we don't get this straight we'll be reborn as kookaburras. You know, there were meditators in their last lives who didn't come to any, any realisation. That's why they're hanging around here. And as I, as I just said recently in Switzerland, we're in the Alps, and outside the uh, meditation hall, one has these lovely, unlike the Indian cows, lovely, big, fat, healthy cows, these, these Swiss cows uh, there. And they've got around them bells. You know, you've seen ding-ling, ding-ling, and uh, reminding people in the meditation hall to be here and now. And what, <laughs> but what many people don't know that these mindfulness bells which the cows are, 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 are ca carrying around their neck that those cows in their past life were mindfulness meditation teachers <laughs> and they never took their students any further and that's the cost You didn't know that before, did you? <laughs> Holy cow. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Oh dear, I'll go to hell for that one, I know. <laughs> okay. So I want to know, what is my true nature? What is the true nature of things? Forget the mind. What is the true nature of things? And, therefore I, I go with the I am and add. Say, so, hey, that's not, that, that, that can't be the case. The not-self cannot reveal the self the true nature. So I drop that, but then I'm left with the simple I am. I am. And then there is no active reference point through the use of the world to confirm I am. I have not, nothing to actually state what I am is. All I'm left with a feeling or an I or a sense or a, or a notion in some way or other. And when I look at I am, since there's nothing out there called role, called object, called thing, called uh, thought, called uh, body or whatever, since there's just this sense of I am, this I am really has no meaning. Because there's nothing to substantiate it. There's nothing authentic, there's nothing real in it, there's nothing there. And we are terrified of this. The fear keeps moving us and driving us to want to be somebody, to keep affirming ourselves because we're terrified of not being affirmed.
And we're spending our life running around like mad chickens we are. Running around to get hold of things, to get in touch with things, to keep using the now for the primary purpose to feel to be somebody. And when we're bold enough to just say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not a name. Why should I make a fuss about it? I'm not this, I'm not that. Why should I make a fuss about it all? When we do that, then once that, all that object which is being used drops away, then the I am has no real meaning. It itself is just another conceit. I am. What the heck does that mean? And if we keep repeating itself, I am, I am, I am, people look at us and say, yes, <laughs> yes. Are we supposed to be impressed? <laughs> so there's nothing of substance in the I am. And it's this terror which haunts human life. The terror of actually, actually not being somebody. No wonder we're so afraid from day to day. So in the, in the exploration from the Buddha, he then goes uh, further, he says, In the scene there is just a scene, in the herd there is just a herd, in the sense there is just a sense, and rather important, in the known there is just the known. So sometimes we're not making immediate reference to what's out there, but we're making reference to what's within, so-called within. What I mean by that, there are events which take place in our life, could be past, could be present here and now, could be future, and in the clarity there is just the known. There is just the fact. The fact is not a problem. And this is another tough one for us to really genuinely acknowledge. It doesn't matter what has happened in your past or my past. Whatever it is, it is still just a fact. But when the inner life comes in, it adds to the fact and makes it a problem. And it isn't easy to be ruthlessly honest, truly clear in ourself, as the Buddha is saying, in the known there is just the known, which sees clearly this is just the fact. This is just what is known. Whatever the event. And everything else which piles on top makes it the problem. And I say that no matter how intense the situation may have appeared, no matter how great the drama may have, have seemed to be, or is seen to be, or will be seen to be, in terms of this will be the outcome. It is still in the known, there is just the known. Or the same thing as saying, in the known, there is just the fact. And if we can learn to live with the facts, and some of them aren't easy, and it doesn't mean to say that the unpleasant feelings and responses around certain facts will go away. Those unpleasant feelings will arise. 
But even the arising of unpleasant feelings still doesn't make it a problem. It's just a human, organic response to the fact. So sometimes we can experience moments of regret, moments of tears, moments of um, loss, or whatever it might be. But if there's enough calm abiding and enough clarity uh, with us, we see this is life unfolding itself in its own way, not according to our plan, not according to how we would wish, but we know it clearly enough and well enough to say, in the known, there is just the known. With regard to what is past, with regard to what is present, and with regard to what we conceive or believe or foresee will happen at some point in the future, near or distant future. He then goes on, he says, Then you are not by that, when you are not by that, then you are not there. When you are not there, you are neither here, nor beyond, nor in between the two. Hang in, don't go away, I'm going to try and explain it. (laughs) (laughs) I get to be known, I'm a human being. I get to be known by various references which have come out of life, or come out of the world, or come out of the circumstances. So I have a description of myself. The description of myself, as I say, could be through ownership. It could be through the description I give to myself through my feelings and my emotions and my thoughts and my personality. And all that arises and becomes an object of my interest. And I, through all of this activity that's going on in the heart, mind, body and the world around, I get to be known. I get the idea of who I am. I build myself up through all of those assumptions and conclusions. But supposing, I say, they're all objects of interest. My, the thoughts that arise are objects of interest. I see them come and go. These feelings and emotions that come up, they're objects of interest. That which is an object of interest can't be who I am. It can't be. And therefore, if... Get back to the line before I forget it. That when you are not by that, then you are not there. Contemplate that the rest of your life. (laughs) When you are not known by that, hmm? When you know you are not the teacher, when you know the object, you are not the man, when you know you are not the thought, when you know you are not the feeling, because they are all objects of interest, then you know you are not there. You know that's not where you are. You know it. That's not where you are. And so when we say, with the now, we say, ah, here and now, 
now here. Just put the two words together. You get close. Nowhere. This is better. When it's nowhere. This prospect of being nowhere. Ah! And spent one's whole life trying to be somebody and be somewhere. And the Dharma teachings come along and, and, and take the very ground and not offering anything to dwell on. When I went back to the monastery in uh, June, looking through some of the, the old uh, pictures of the monks and the nuns and myself, and one of the great uh, silent sages in the monastery was an old monk named Paul Longbut, whose uh, wisdom and clarity was uh, quite remarkable. And he, if I may say, inspired me during my years in the monastery to engage in a lot of standing meditation. And we'd stand, uh, trees there still, uh, there's trees in the monastery, stand uh, under the tree, so we'd finish lunch and come out from the lunch meal at 12 o'clock and we'd do a three-hour standing meditation until uh, three uh, uh, in the afternoon, uh, in the shade of the tree. And day in and day out, day in and day out, and then in the monsoon we'd stand in the, 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 under the, by the hut. During this um, um, period of time, sometimes monks and novices would come to poor Longbut, who was in his uh, 70s. And they'd say, oh, Long Paul, which means uh, older brother. They'd say, King Yama is King Yama is the Lord of Death. You see, King Yama is travelling around the world and now you're in his 70s, he'll be picking you out soon. So the view in the, in the language of the tradition, the metaphorical language, is that King Yama is travelling around the world, travelling around the world and every day he's picking out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are saying, last day, out. <laughs> and, and that can be right from conception and young and old and rich and poor and meditators and non-meditators. You know, King Yama comes and selects. And we never know the day nor, nor the hour that this takes place. So, so they said to poor Longbut, oh, Longbut, King Yama must be looking for you. And Longbut said to the small group I was there with the uh, translator, he said, King Yama is travelling, I always remember this, remember the very spot, you know how some things are said in life you never forget. He said, King Yama is travelling all over this world looking for poor Longbut. But he'll never find him. He'll never trace him. And the monks went, whoa. <laughs> As they say in the tradition, sadhu, sadhu, well said, well said. Why could poor Longbut say that so clearly and so beautifully? And the reason he could say that, and I was with him when he died, I was in his hut 
lying beside him face to face in the very last hours of his life and watched the whole process there. And the reason that he could say that was because Paul Longwood had realized, that means made real, had realized that it was pointless to define himself by objects. He didn't define himself by the body. He didn't define himself by the feelings. He didn't define himself by the thoughts. He didn't define himself by personality. He didn't define himself as a monk. And he didn't define himself by his few meagre possessions. And because he was not defining himself, he was untraceable. He could not be found in this world. Monks went, and on the day that he died I was out on the begging ground and he sent we knew it was the last hours we had taken I had actually took, took him to the hospital and then he had said um, Monkstein Monasteries let me out and we brought him back to the monastery the last maybe week of his life and he sent a message out to the novice find Kitty Supo that's me Christopher time has come which meant he was in his last hours so he came straight back from the begging round he's uh, there uh, uh, in the hut completely alert completely present and then, the, then as the morning went by, he said, My hen, my hen, which means can't see. And the eyes went first of the senses. Then he said, my, I can't remember the word for hearing. And then, not hearing. Sound, sound had gone. Completely relaxed and cool with the whole, whole process. And then holding his, lying beside him and just by holding of his hands, the ends of the fingers, began to become cool. And then just gradually, gradually, the coolness went up through the body there. And he just passed out of this world. And in the evening, I, uh, the abbot arranged for his uh, corpse to be put on the floor in the middle of the meditation hall. And you just lay him down in the middle of the floor. And the monks were around him, and the uh, Ajahn, Hajan Damodaro, Sitting up, uh, sitting up the front. And because I had a very close connection through this standing meditation and these very short teachings, because it was very hard to get any long teachings out of him. And so it would just be one-liners we would get, you know, and we'd have to survive in it for a month or so. And when we asked him to teach, he says, I'm not anything, how can I teach anything? It, but he said, and then one day he said, well, I could teach standing meditation. And he said, just stand. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> Nothing else I did. <laughs> so, in the standing, it was just the standing, you see. <laughs> and we brought the, 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 the corpse into the hall. And uh, Ajahn Dhammadaro, via the translator, asked me to speak about Paul Longwood, to remember some of the things that he said, to pay, pay uh, respect. And at the very end of the talk, I just said, uh, Paul Longwood 
a very strong thing to say in the Theravada tradition, some of you will know. Ben Arahant is an Arahant. Completely fulfilled all the spiritual path and uh, uh, exploration and was utterly free from all problematic conceit, I, me, my issues. Utterly free human being and untraceable. And the monks, and when I said it, I thought, wow, monastery. Some will agree, some won't agree, some will have doubt, etc. But spontaneously, the entire Dharma hall, monks and nuns, all said, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Well said, well said, well said. Touching moment. So it's this willingness to explore and to look into the, this area of the subject called I, the perceiver, the watcher, the witness, the listener. The object called that which is seen, that which is listened to, that which is heard, whatever. In all of that flows our life. In all of that event, there's no event outside. All of that matters right there in. And if we look clearly at it, we see the fact. And the problem is gone. The problem has gone. Wow. And so in the concluding lines to Bahia, but it says, when you are not by that, not defined by that, then you are not there. When you are not there, then you are neither here, nor are you there in some transcendent realm, nor in between the two. Just brilliant. You're not here, but it's not some transcendent state, you're not there. And nor are you in between the two. Just this is the end of all problems. <laughs> That's wisdom. Let's have a quiet minute or two, shall we?